Hello and welcome to another School of Surgery podcast, which once again comes from the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Today I'll be talking to Dr. Eric Shu, a bariatric surgeon here and an instructor of surgery at Harvard Medical School, about hiatal hernias. As always, our discussion will be linked to the ISCP general surgery curriculum objectives. Dr. Shu, thank you uh, so much for agreeing to talk to us today. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Um, okay, so um, some learning objectives for this podcast then. Broadly, we will be discussing um, definition of hiatus hernia and the different types that exist, um, causes of um, hiatal hernias and some basic epidemiology, um, presenting features in those with a hiatus hernia and complications to be vigilant of, investigations used to confirm the presence of a hiatus hernia, and then some management options, including both conservative and surgical um, treatment management plans. So, um, Dr. Shu, if we start with the basics then, um, how would you define a hiatus hernia? Uh, so define a hiatal hernia as uh, a weakening of the diaphragmatic hiatus where the esophagus normally passes from the thoracic cavity into the abdominal cavity uh, with either uh, persistent or recurrent herniation of normal intra-abdominal esophagus or stomach up into the chest cavity. Okay, and um, there, are, there are different types of um, hiatal hernias, aren't there? Um, what are the main, main ones we need to be aware of? Um, so there's a classification of uh, hiatal hernias from 1, 2, 3, and 4. Um, by far the most common one is a type 1 or a sliding hiatal hernia, um, which is when the G-junction is uh, intermittently uh, sliding through a weakened hiatus uh, up into the chest but uh, comes back and forth. Um, the types 2 through 4 are all termed parasophageal hernias, and that's when more than the G-junction, uh, so portions of the stomach, usually the fundus of the stomach, have herniated. Uh, up into the chest, uh, and the most extreme is a type 4, where other organs besides the stomach, uh, including colon or liver, have uh, herniated up into the chest. Okay, thank you. And in your experience, what are the main causes of um, hiatal hernia, and, and which patient groups tend to get them? Um, so hernia is thought to be uh, due to congenital defects in the formation of the diaphragmatic hiatus, and that uh, get exacerbated with acquired conditions, so things that increase intra-abdominal pressure, uh, so common in obesity, um, where there's increased pressure in the abdominal cavity. Um, it also tends to be more common in women than men, so about a three-to-one uh, female-to-male predominance. Um, and it also becomes more common as you become older, so we're picking this up uh, mostly in uh, patients in their sixth or decade of life or greater as uh, connective tissues weaken in the diaphragm. Okay, and um, uh, is it true to say, though, a lot of people could have a hiatal hernia and um, be completely asymptomatic from it? I think that's completely fair. I mean, I think the vast majority of people uh, will have uh, particularly a type 1 hiatal hernia and have uh, no symptoms from this whatsoever. And even many of the larger ones can be asymptomatic and only picked up incidentally on other imaging. Okay, sure, yeah. And um, and so how might a patient um, with type, this type of hernia actually present? What kind of things do you look out for in the history that the patient's giving? Um, and, uh, and, and are there any complications that we need to be extra vigilant of? Sure. So I, the most common uh, symptoms that patients with these have is, is usually chest pain or epigastric pain. Um, and probably the next most common would be uh, dysphagia, which could be uh, fairly subtle. Uh, it's not also uncommon to have some shortness of breath or bloating uh, postprandially. Uh, as if, if the stomach's up and the chest fills up with food and gas and then uh, compresses the, stump, the, uh, the lungs in the G-junction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of more uh, worrisome symptoms, um, include volvulus. So someone who presents acutely with a stomach that's incarcerated, 
and twisted and strangulated within the chest cavity. Um, and those patients can present with coffee ground emesis, severe chest pain, uh, retching and vomiting, uh, oftentimes retching without actually being able to vomit anything up. That's one of the concerning features for volvulus. Sure, and um, and it's the, the rolling hernias that uh, are more likely to cause these complications, is that right? Uh, yeah, so the uh, paraesophageal types, yeah. so the type 2 through 4, yeah. are much more likely to cause this, but the type 1, it shouldn't really be an issue. Okay, all right. And, um, and if you are suspecting a uh, hiatal hernia, then what type of investigations might we choose to help us try and um, you know, come to the diagnosis? So, you know, they, these are often picked up incidentally sure, on yeah, chest x-ray yeah. imaging or CAT scan imaging for other reasons. Um, I think if you are seeing a patient in the office and suspect it, um, the first test I would get would be an, uh, an upper GI study or a barium swallow, because okay. um, I'll help you define both uh, the type of hernia, its mm -hmm. relation to the hiatus, as well as uh, give you some information about uh, esophageal motility in the presence or absence of volvulus. Okay. Uh, upper endoscopy would also be useful, but I think I would start with the swallow. The swallow. Okay, yeah. And um, and then in terms of a management plan then, um, so obviously we can manage them conservatively or operatively. Um, from a conservative point of view, what simple things um, might you suggest to your patients that we could try first off? Right. Um, so for symptoms of pain and bloating and, and shortness of breath, it can be often help and helpful just to uh, encourage some fairly straightforward dietary interventions, limiting the size of meals, uh, doing those earlier before bedtime. Yeah. Uh, some of these patients will have um, some element of gastroesophageal reflux disease, and you can treat that with proton pump inhibitors. Yeah. Um, you know, our thinking on these hernias have evolved over time, and it used to be thought that any of the paraesophageal uh, type 2 types should be repaired given the risk of volvulus, um, but it's thought nowadays that that risk is relatively low, so we repair these primarily for symptoms. So in terms of repair then, um, what operations might you offer um, a patient with a symptomatic hiatus hernia then? Um, so the gold standard and most common way to fix these now is a, a laparoscopic transabdominal uh, hiatal or parasophageal hernia repair. Um, these can be done uh, with a very minimal morbidity and mortality and it's usually only a one to two night hospital stay. Uh, after fixing the hernia, a lot of these patients will have some element of reflux uh, so a fund duplication or anti-reflux procedures usually combine at the end of the uh, hiatal hernia repair uh, to treat those symptoms as well as to give bulk to the stomach to prevent re-herniation. Uh, other options, uh, depending on the hernia, include a transthoracic approach or an open approach, uh, but really the laparoscopic transabdominal approach is the gold standard these days. Okay. And, and people do very well after that? Uh, people do very, very well, and the morbidity and mortality of this uh, has decreased tremendously. Um, so that we do offer this uh, fairly frequently for good candidates for surgery with symptoms. Um, the long-term recurrence rate of these are, is still unfortunately relatively high right. in terms of radiologic recurrences and can be up to 10%. Okay. However, with a good repair, the number of these are actually symptomatic. Uh, it's probably much smaller than that. Okay, that's great. Okay, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. It's um, much appreciated. Thank you very much for having me.